0: Welcome to a special yak podcast. Um, this two-parter is from the shame series we did over the high school retreat uh, so that you parents can listen to what uh, we talked about with the students and students if you need to re-listen to it. Um, hopefully uh, this is beneficial to you. Oh, uh, Lord Jesus. As we did with last night, tonight we asked for honesty, Um, the ability to really deal with this stuff, to wrestle with it, um, to at least identify the shackle, and if we can, maybe begin to break it tonight. Um, Those shame ideas and thoughts and identities, um, they keep us from enjoying life, enjoying people and enjoying you. Uh, Lord, may we begin to remove those. Um, and Lord, may we learn tools tonight to where this lifelong journey of removing shame um, becomes easier uh, and we can help other people uh, be free from their shame too. In your son's name, amen. Amen. I hope that today in your booklet, you were able to figure out What you are ashamed of most, what defines you in the quiet moments, what the talk radio station in your head continues to call you in your times of doubt and discouragement and hopelessness, what you fear people know about you. We cover up our shame. It's what we naturally do. Even those who run around naked don't call it strolling. They call it streaking. Because they don't want their shame to be exposed for too long. Mm -hmm. There are a couple ways to deal with shame. Let's see where yours currently falls. There are four ways. First one is we ignore it. We pretend it isn't there. It's only when someone brings up the subject that it pops up ugly in our head. The second thing we do with our shame is we compare it. They have shame too, or not as bad as them. We compare it. The third thing we do is we laugh at it. It's not a big deal. It just makes jokes about it, and we just make jokes about it to make it seem normal. The fourth one, and I think it's the most dangerous, is we glorify it. I think the easiest example of this is in regard to sexual sin. We coarsely joke with our friends about the looks of a guy or a girl, objectifying their sexuality down to what they have to offer in their body. We go see movies knowing there will be naked or sexualized individuals, and we talk about sex and sexuality in a way that dehumanizes others. We try to rationalize moments that this reminds and we try to rationalize moments that this reminds you of that I'm giving you a as I'm giving you a description. And we boast about our cockiness, our pride, our sin when we get away with it from our parents. And in those moments, we play right into the devil's hands and proudly yell to the world that we are unclean and that they should be too. If you think this isn't happening in our culture, especially when it comes to sexual sin, all you got to do is turn on any television channel or look at any magazine. We constantly sexualize others. Here's the first fill in the blank. The problem with ignoring shame, comparing shame, laughing at shame, and glorifying shame is at the end of the day, it doesn't deal with shame. The problem with ignoring shame, comparing shame, laughing at shame, and glorifying shame is at the end of the day, it doesn't deal with shame. You are still defined by that shame. Whether you try to hide it or willingly etch it into your skin. Your identity is your shame. And that is what Jesus has come to free us from. Second Corinthians 5.17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's one of those verses that I hope you all memorize over the course of your life, especially during these formative years. Yesterday, we talked about the concept of you asking God to cleanse your shame. For many of you, that's hard to do. You can't imagine bringing your shame before your parents, let alone the God of the universe. But that is how you begin to deal with it. He already knows your shame. He wants it out in the open before him. And he wants you to give it up. And this is kind of where we're heading today. It's your next fill in the blank. For your sake, for his sake, and the sake of those around you. God wants you to give up shame for your sake, for his sake, and for the sake of those around you. That idea is the main point of tonight's talk. So let's look at a familiar story of the woman at the well. Turn to John chapter 4. One of my favorite stories in Scripture, John chapter four. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One, two, three. For some people, it's easier for them to memorize it that way. Fourth book of the New Testament, and then it's chapter four fourth book fourth chapter john we're not in his smaller books we're in his gospel so let me read it now when jesus learned that the pharisees had heard that jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than john although jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples he left judea and departed again to galilee and he had to pass through samaria so he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. On a side note, I love when they bring up stuff from the Old Testament. I mean, that's book of Genesis. That's like when you're watching, you know, the new Batman Superman movie, and you see like some... You know, hidden gem from a comic book etched into the wall, or you know, something that's there. It's just a shout out. Oh, this happens to be um, uh, the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. It's like the shout out to the old, old book. Wow. Sorry. Wow. Bro, that was legit cool. Wow. Let me finish this. Nice. What? Wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Talk about let's change conversation topics real quick. Okay? Uh, uh, yeah, I don't have any husbands. Uh, you're a prophet. Uh, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know the Messiah, the one who is called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us these things. And Jesus said to her, I, who speak to you, am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So his disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months that then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for you which did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him... They asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed him because of his word. They said to the woman, is it no longer because of what you said that we believe? For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that it is indeed the Savior of the world. So, let me kind of break down the passage. The first section is for us. So let's start with the woman arriving in the middle of the day when no one would see her. Shame. So what does she do when Jesus asks her for water? She says, how is it that you, a Jew, asks for a drink for me, a woman of Samaria? She immediately tries to shame him. You're a Jew. You're not supposed to ask me for anything. For two reasons. One, I'm a woman. And two, I'm from Samaria. This is your next one in the blank shame begets shame or shame breeds shame shame begets b-e-g-e-t-s shame shame breeds more shame what does a bully do, do he shames others why because he is shamed of something that he doesn't want anyone to find out about or that he doesn't want to deal with do you shame others But Jesus offers her living water. Water in which she will no longer thirst for. Let me put it into terms we can grasp with. We are thirsty. All of us in this room are thirsty. And we're thirsty for a couple things. We're thirsty for acceptance. We're thirsty for affirmation. And we're thirsty for life without shame. And Christ offers you all that. He knew what the woman of the well was trying to do. And instead of guilt... Instead of shame beginning shame, he offered her a, resolu- a, a solution. She says, Yes, I want that. But Jesus wants the water to wash and fill the most unreached parts of her. He doesn't want to clean the parts that everyone can see. This is your next one in the blank. He, Jesus, doesn't want to deal with the stain on your shirt, He wants to deal with the stain of your soul. Again, he doesn't want to deal with the stain on your shirt. He wants to deal with the stain of your soul. So he confronts it. Go get your husband. That's what he says for her. So let's fill in the blank with your shade. Go get your blank. What is it you wrote down in that space this morning? Go get your blank. Hey, your shame, your shame. What shame uh, did you write down this morning? <laughs> a husband. Fact is, the woman didn't have a husband. She had been divorced five times, just thrown out on the street like a dirty rag, left to fend for herself in a culture that makes it hard for a woman to make a living. So she has to be defined by a man in a culture that made it just as easy for a husband to dispose of a wife. We don't really know if she was a bad wife, always nagging and pestering, or if she was really, really unlucky. All we know is that her divorces had marked her in a community that defined a woman by her relation to a man. So much so that she hid from the other ladies who would walk together in the mornings to get water from the well. So in that culture, women in the mornings would take their bowls and their jars, and they'd all walk to the well together to get the water they needed for the day. And this woman felt so much shame that she's going to go in the heat of the day when she knows no one will be there so that she doesn't have to deal with a soul because she doesn't want to bump into anyone on the way there or the way back. She intentionally makes herself miserable by the heat and by isolation so that she does not have to deal with her shame. Your shame might not be as debased as hers. Your shame might not be in the limelight in your culture and your soul longs, but your soul longs for the same things. And that is living water, cleanliness before a holy God, acceptance and love by the one who created you. And Christ asks you to bring your shame and in return, he will give you the thing that you thirst for most, real life. For Christ, that's the next section. The fact is he does this for himself fact is Christ loved the Samaritan woman and wanted to spend eternity with her. He finds pleasure in his children. He loves healing the sick and raising the dead and bringing hope to the hopeless. So much that he literally gets his fill by doing these things. You notice that in the section. Jesus said to his disciples who had brought him back food. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplished his work. He literally gets his fill off that. All of you, hopefully, at some point today, were hungry during your time of fasting. Now, probably none of you felt filled by reading a psalm or or spending time with the Lord. Um, You might never. But it should point us towards that end. I hope that all of you, at some point in your life, can say, My fill was doing this instead of satisfying my earthly pleasures. Fact is, Jesus does this. He finds the one sheep, the lost coin, the buried treasure. He finds you at your well and he offers you eternal life even after you try to bring him into your shame. He does all those things for you. For others. It's the last part. What does the woman do after she's offered this living water? She runs to the same people who shamed her and tell them that they too can be free from the shame. She is released from the fear that has plagued her life. She is telling those who shamed her, come back with me, there is living water. I think that's how you know you are free of shame. You invite others into that freedom. You see, while shame begets shame, the next one in the blank is just as profound. And that is freedom begets freedom. It's confessing your shame to others and letting them know that it no longer defines you. That you are defined by something different. I quoted a verse earlier, Second Corinthians five, seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away, behold the newest come. I would like you to read the rest of the context to show you what freedom allows you to do. So I'm going to read that section if you want to turn with me. Second Corinthians five, eleven through twenty-one. Flip there real quick so you can see it with me. Second Corinthians five, eleven through twenty-one. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Acts, Romans to Corinthians. Move to 2 Corinthians 5, 11, and 21. 5, what? 11 through 21. Yep, definitely therefore knowing the fear of the lord we persuade others but what we are to is but what we are is known to god and i hope it is also known to your conscience we are not commending ourselves to you again but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not what is in the heart does that sound like our culture for if we have uh, but for if we are beside ourselves it is for god if we are in our right mind it is for you for the love of christ controls us because because we have concluded this that one has died for all therefore all have died and he died for all that those who might those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him, for him A ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses, their shame against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me start with verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. When we are clothed in righteousness, we identify with the Savior and conclude that one has died for all, and therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who might no longer live for themselves but for who for him who for their sake died and was raised it's the first two points it is for freedom from our shame that's the point of it for Christ it is us partnering with him the gift of the gospel to give that away for to others for now one therefore we regard no one according to the flesh so For now one, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Our nakedness, our shame. What we hide from others is gone. We are clothed with something beautiful. We identify with the Savior, the idiot, the pig, the whore, the villain, the angry person. Whatever the devil tries to get us to identify with, whatever others try to get us to identify with, whatever we choose to identify with, those are gone. And replaced with where our identity truly lies. To what end you ask. The verse says it. To the ministry of reconciliation. You are ambassadors of the high king. You go on his behalf. Fallen and bought with a price. And clothed in his righteousness. So be free of shame. And free others. For it is for freedom. That Christ has set us free. Thanks for listening to another Yak podcast. If you want more information on Yak, you can visit us at cccfrisco.org. Hope you join us again next week. Thanks for listening.